Last week, um, I'm very thankful for Dave, to, uh, who shared um, um, a message about how we find peace in a busy world, and it's part of our series that we are working through uh, called Breathe, how do we find uh, life within the limits, that our culture is very much uh, focused on pushing everything to the edge, that we, uh, and with our time, with our finances, um, with our emotions, it's just go, 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 it's busy, 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 and we kind of look a little suspicious on anybody who says that they're not busy because there must be something wrong with them. Well, maybe they're lazy because successful people are busy people and good parents are busy people. Like Dave said last night, good taxi drivers. You know, um, that, that, There's something wrong if, you've got, if you're living life within those limits, which is why we, I'm encouraging you towards this book because this book, as the name suggests, is how do we find margin? How do we come back from the edges and live where we believe as Christians life should be lived? That we don't have to be overly busy. We don't have to be pushed financially all the time. We don't have to be pushed morally all the time. That isn't God's best. So this morning uh, and next week, we're going to talk about two subjects that really are, are not discussed in church. Um, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to head there in a second. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can go to Bible.com and download uh, version Bible, and you can find Matthew on there as well. Uh, we're going to turn to that in just a second. But there are two subjects that generally the church wants to avoid. Two subjects. And yet, uh, ironically, they're subjects that the world, our culture, presses towards constantly constantly pointing towards them. And the two subjects are, and if I gave you time, you could figure it out very, very quickly. The first subject would be money, and the second subject is sex. Those two subjects are subjects that the church generally resists talking about. They, they don't want to address them. So why would we focus on them? Because this week, we're going to talk about one of them, and next week, we're going to talk somewhat about the other as well. Why would we do this? Why would we, as a church, think about doing a subject that people aren't interested in. The reality is this. Those two subjects, those two areas, those two topics, if you will, are areas that the culture presses us to the edge on. That we're to live financially to the edge, and we're also meant to live morally to the edge. That's what our culture encourages. And yet, as a pastor, and I've been pastoring long enough now to know that those two subjects are also the root causes of many, many deep issues in people's lives. And so, like whether it be financial issues or marriage issues or addiction issues, whatever it might be, not all the time, but often you can root them back to these two subjects. So as soon as I say, we're going to talk about money... It's a vital thing to talk about. One, a subject that the world presses into, pushes into, constantly tries to educate us on, whereas the church resists it even now. Let's be honest. Some of you are wishing, I shouldn't have come to church this morning. I knew I shouldn't have come because the pastor's going to talk about money. And, you know, and you're wishing that maybe you're not here, but the reality is, is that, is that you, you're going to maybe hear some things that, I'm just going to be honest with you, you're going to resist. You're going to resist them. Because, you know what, you don't talk about money unless you're not in church. You're going to resist them. And yet, as you're going to see, the, the Bible, Jesus presses into them. 
He doesn't resist it. He pushes in because Jesus is the most culturally aware person. He knows that these two issues are hugely important. He pushes into them. So while we might go, man, I wish I hadn't come to church this morning because now I'm going to just hear about money. Jesus is actually saying, hey, I'm really glad you're in church this morning because we're going to talk about money. And this is really, really important. Now, I also do want to give a little caveat. If you are not a Jesus follower, in other words, if you don't declare that Jesus is king over your life, that he is Lord, if you've not believed and confessed that he is Lord and you are not seeking to live your life in a way that would be in alignment with Scripture, what I'm saying you can ignore. It doesn't apply to you. You don't have to do it. You don't have to follow it. You can listen and go, huh, that's interesting, and leave, grab a cup of coffee, get a free book, and go, that's fine. Because this, does, this teaching doesn't apply to you, which is a really odd thing for a pastor to say. I will say this, though. It makes really good common sense, what I'm going to say to you today. So even if you're thinking, you know what, Jesus isn't for you, what I'm going to say is hugely applicable. If you are a Christian, however, then guess what? You don't get any choice. (laughs) Excuse me. I do get a choice. Well, if you are a Christian, then by default, what you're saying is that Jesus is Lord of your life, and what do you want me to do with my life is naturally a part of the deal. As a Christian, we didn't get that opportunity when we submit to the Lord and we declare that he is our king, that we ask for forgiveness, we confess with our mouths, he transforms us, he changes us, he gives us new life. There's not this, yeah, but not this part of my life, Lord. That's not part of the deal. So I can say lovingly, gently, but enthusiastically, that actually this is very much... Now, what we should do is not necessarily what we do do, but still, this really is part of the deal. Some of you will be thinking, ah, the church always talks about money. It's always about money. And you know, I actually look back to the last time I talked about giving in this church. It was November 2017. So we don't always talk about money. But I would say this, I think... I actually had to confess and ask the Lord forgiveness because we need to talk about it more because the world is, the culture is, so we, we, we need to as well. Can I just tell you, God is not interested in your money. He doesn't need your money. He has everything that he ever wants. In fact, I, loved, I love it when I show people these scriptures. Look at what God thinks about your money. Moreover, When God gives any man or woman wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy with his work, this is a gift from God. God wants you to enjoy your money. And perhaps one of the best verses in the Bible is this one. I'm going to leave this up for a while so you can write it down and memorize it. Go, eat your food with gladness. Drink your wine with a joyful heart. Amen. Okay. Enthusiastic lot. For it is now that God favors what you do. He, thank you. He wants you to enjoy good food. Now I'm British. We know good food. We're famous for good food, right? Steve and Lisa. Lisa's going. I don't know where. You know what? If it's kind of a little bit, my my mum will probably tell me off later. Like, That's not true. But you know, if you like kind of bland and a bit stodgy and you know beef. Yes. 
Yorkshire Puds, all the Brits in the house are going, oh, yes, come on. None of this French-Italian nonsense. British food. God says, enjoy it with gladness. Fish and chips, praise God. Drink your wine with a joyful heart. Oh, the church is just against money. Uh, you know, doesn't want me to enjoy my money. Uh, God does. He wants you. He gives you good things to enjoy with a smiling face because he's given us taste buds. He's given us enjoyment. He's given us that time where we can enjoy it with our friends. It's a good thing. So you're not going to get a drive-by guilting this morning. That's not what I want you to do. We've already taken up the offering. So you can relax. Until next week. <laughs> but it's not drive-by guilting. This is good common sense. This is a good way to live. Christians, this is how we should live. People who are still thinking through Christianity, this is just good, good sense. And God wants you to enjoy your money. The thing is with money is this. Please listen to this. This is important. Money has an ability to shine into our lives and highlight things that God is very interested in. Money highlights things in our lives in a way that nothing else can, that actually highlights stuff that God wants. Not because he's being selfish, but by giving us the thing that we need the most is actually the most blessed thing, the best thing for us. And we resist it because we see money as something we've got to hold on to, whereas God actually sees money as almost like a flashlight to highlight things in our lives. So Matthew talks about money a lot because Jesus talks about money. And there's this Sermon on the Mount. You may have heard about it in Matthew. You can read it in the first few chapters of Matthew. And Jesus talks about treasure. And he says, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. That's common sense. That makes sense, what you're thinking about. And then he moves on and he says this. In Matthew 6, verse 22 to 23, the eye is the lamp of the body. It's really interesting. In the middle of a passage about money and treasure, Jesus suddenly starts talking about what you look at. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Now, so the verses before about treasure, you'll see in a minute the verses after are about treasure and money. So this, we can assume in context, has got something to do with wealth, money, and treasure. Let's move on. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? It's not just dark, it's great darkness. So here's what Jesus is saying. What you look at determines whether you have a life full of light or a life full of darkness. So here's the reality of what we do, especially in Kelowna, especially on the West Coast, but really it applies to everywhere, is this. We are motivated by what we see, and what we see drives our discontent. Because this person has got that thing, I feel like I should have that thing, and I'm discontent, so it drives me towards making decisions that ultimately will not only give me problems financially, but will actually create darkness in my life. Because living in discontent is not fun, it's miserable. Constantly being driven by what we see. So Jesus is saying what you look at, what you focus on, can determine your content, can determine not only whether you're content, but actually whether you're living a life full of light or a life full of not just darkness, but great darkness. Think about this. This is practically true. You go to, you go just drive to, maybe it's a school drop-off, or you go into the shops and somebody drives past you in one of those August motors. August, you're welcome for the plug. <laughs> <laughs> 
August Motors cars. And you look at it, and it's, it's kind of purple with bright orange wheels. And as a guy, I'm going, oh, give me five minutes in that car. Now, I look at that, and I can enjoy it. And, and, and you know, and the world doesn't like this. The culture doesn't like me thinking this. I go, yeah, I'm never going to have one of those. You can have whatever you want, Glenn. Yeah, well, I suppose I could if I sold my house, mortgaged my kids, and then I could go and buy one of those cars. But it could, if I'm not careful, drive discontent within me. Look at that house. Look at her cushions. Not me. Maybe that speaks to somebody else. I'm not really into cushions. But look at, look at their drapes. Look at how... Look at, look at their grass. Grasses. For those of you who've been around long enough, know it's one of my passionate illustrations. Dandelions and grass. But this discontent by what we see can drive a darkness within me. See, our focus determines the level of light or darkness in your life. So when you see other people's possessions, their things, their lives, their vacations, their partner, and you just suddenly go, I want that. I want that more than anything else in the world. I need that. It drives discontent. Discontent results in really, really poor financial decisions. And you suddenly find yourself living on the edge because we, have a, we live in a society that is willing to give you what you need in order to live life on the edge. Right? I'm, I'm astonished. My, 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 uh, three of my older children now all have credit cards. And I asked Zoe the other day what her... Uh, and she's amazing. She's like a mum. She buys something on the credit card. She's scrambling to pay it off. You know, it's like she won't sleep until it's done. I'm very grateful for that. But I asked her what her limit was. I was astounded at what they are willing. Spend it. Go. Because we're driven by our discontent. You need this money in order to get closer to what you feel you ought to have. And Jesus is saying it will drive darkness in your life. Poor financial decisions are driven by discontent. I think that's good common sense. That makes sense. And guess what? It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. It's what Jesus said. Enough simply is not enough. It's not. The title of this sermon today is Enough is Enough. Enough is not enough. Wasn't it Getty who was asked how much, how much money do you want and how much money would be enough? And he said, just a little bit more. Or I'm paraphrasing. Just a little bit more. Just a bit more. That's our culture. That's our society. So Jesus is saying in this passage that financial stress and discontent and darkness is not rooted in, in, uh, in society. It's actually rooted in our hearts. It's actually inside us, this discontent. This desire is inside of us. That's where, so if you're living life financially on the edge, then it's an issue of heart more than anything else. What are you driven by? Think about it practically. You might have two people, and we've, I've used car as an illustration, so I'll use it again because it's something we can all relate to. You know, one person drives this beautiful, expensive car, and somebody else is driving, I asked Luke what we'd call it in Canada. I can only think of the word banger, like an old rust bucket, a, a junker. So you've got two people driving these cars. This person, it would be easy for them, maybe say, let's say they're both Christians, it's easy for them to look at this person driving this fancy car and judge them because, well, they should be giving their money away and they should be doing this and they should be doing that and how can they do this and et cetera, et cetera. The reality is the fact you're driving a car and got a bed, it makes you in the top 1% of the richest in the world anyway. 
But how can they do this? And he can, or he or she can harbor greed and, and dissatisfaction and discontent and it can drive them financially. Whereas this person, actually, what they don't know is giving away. Giving and giving and giving. They don't hold it like that, that they're generously giving and giving and giving. They're not driven by it. Excuse the pun. They're not driven by the money. This person is. So it doesn't matter how much money you have. The issue is you can live life financially on the edge whether you are rich or whether you are poor. You can be proud and self-righteous as a poor person as much as you can as a rich person. And so this is what I love about the teaching of the Bible. It flattens it off. Jesus does not care what car you drive unless that car is what you worship and are driven by and determined to get and it drives your discontent. Then he cares. You see, it's a heart issue. It's good common sense because Jesus goes on and says this, no one can serve two masters. Notice the language in this verse. It's fascinating. Either you will hate the one. These aren't like like, dislike, content, discontent. This is hatred. You will either hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Here's why I like to use alliteration in my sermons, because Jesus did. Devoted and despised. You either devoted or you despise the other. It's an interesting word, devote. Devoted to your possessions. What a bizarre thing to think objectively about, that you would worship your possessions. Well, that's silly. You could read this and go, well, I don't have any masters. You know, because nobody masters me, thank you very much. Never mind love and hate and devote and despise them. Well, actually, Jesus then goes on to say what these two masters are. You cannot serve both God and money. Not God and evil, not God and sin, not God and Satan, not the opposite. If you say, what's the opposite of God? You might say any of those words. He actually pits money and God against one another. Is it that he's against money? He's got nothing to do with money. He says, go eat, go enjoy the wine, go enjoy the food, but don't let it master you. See, this word master literally means somebody who owns, possesses, and rules over something. So look again, no one can serve two masters, money and God. You either have to love one or hate, so either hate God or love him. There's no in-between as far as Jesus is concerned. You must be devoted or despise the other. Now, as in Kelowna, we are driven by what other people have. And we get discontent when we don't have it. And what Jesus is saying is that our focus can actually result in us despising the good things that God has given us because we've not got that thing. I love that. I despise that. I'm devoted to that. But, you know, I can give a take. And we never verbalize that. You would never verbalize, I despise and hate God. You'd never say that. But by our actions, what does that look like? And Jesus presses into that. Because basically, this is what he's saying. Do we own money or does money own us? Do we master money or does money master us? And he's noticed that he's only saying one thing. You can only be owned by one or the other. Or as they say in Yorkshire, one or t'other. It's one or t'other. Money or God? Does money own you? See, the word money as well can be translated things. Do things own you? Do vacations own you? Do, do possessions own me? Am I driven by that? Do they own me? Am I mastered by them? Do I worship them? 
That's really tough teaching by Jesus. I'm glad it's not me teaching this. This is right out of the Bible. Jesus is really clear. You, you, you can't. So why is it Jesus saying you can be owned by? That's a horrible place to be, is it not? To be controlled by money. And here's the intriguing thing about humanity. We can see it, smell it, and hear it a mile off. Except when it's inside our own heart. Right? And I have to confess, that's exactly the tension I live in. I can see it. How can they be so obsessed with power and money? And that's shocking. Whereas, actually, what, what is it that I'm worshipping? What, what am I devoted to? What is mastering me? And maybe, just as a little side thing, maybe it's not money, but maybe something else is mastering me. Maybe something else owns me that I'm devoted to. And again, there's nothing wrong with money, so it can be a good thing. But the second that good thing becomes master, I'm enslaved by it. And it gets miserable. It's not a good place to be. And Jesus is saying, not only is it not a good place to be, it not only is it not a good place to live, and it's miserable, and it's discontent. Nobody likes to be discontent. It causes sleepless nights, this financial living on the edge. It's an awful place to be, especially if you're being driven there by discontent. It's a terrible place to be. Not only saying that, it's actually darkness. Not darkness, but great darkness. Wow. So what's the answer? I love that Jesus didn't leave us... Okay, well, all the best. Try and figure that thing out. He actually goes on. And, and this, <laughs> I love this. When I studied this, I just thought this was great. I, I, I really did. I, I love it. Here's, here's his answer. Ready? Just stop worrying about it. Just stop worrying. Look. So, therefore, in the light of that, don't worry. Hang on a second. In the light of what? You've just said to me that I've got a master and it's got to be money or, or God. And so, hang on a second. What, I, I'm more worried. How, how, do not worry saying what should we eat or what should we drink? What should we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. Pagans means people who, who don't believe in Jesus, don't believe in, in, in God. They, they're just focused. Is this, not, is this not our society? For the pagans run after, not just walk, not just crawl, not just give a secondary glance to, run after these things. And you and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Now, I don't know when the last time was that you worried about what you'll eat, because we, we can't relate to that. But we do live in a society that worries about what they're going to wear, and worries about what they're going to drink, and what kind of possessions they're going to have so we can relate to that and so Jesus is saying look don't worry about it why so here's the answer so in the light of that don't worry about these things he's relating to essentials he's saying the very things that we need all these people would have thought about is what should we eat that that would have been an obsession to them their next meal we can't relate to that But what is it that we do relate to? What do we see as an essential? Jesus is saying, don't worry about it because here's something beautiful. Your heavenly Father knows. Your heavenly Father knows. When I read that, I could just feel it just wash over me. You've got a dad who knows. He knows. It's okay. You don't need to be mastered. You don't need to look at anybody else's stuff. You don't need any of that because you've got a father 
who knows? Do we believe that we've got a Father who knows? Do we believe that we've got a Father who is not just there to be judgmental and make us feel bad, but he's actually there. He's not there to do that at all. I mean, there is judgment, but that's a whole other thing. He's there that he knows. He knows what I need. He knows what you need. But this word here, don't we struggle with that? Knows what you need. It doesn't say what you, what? Want. Oh, I wish it did. Now, we do have a God who loves to give us things, to bless us and, and to enjoy and, that's, and that. But the second we need those things... So it, it does apply that God enjoys giving us good things, but he knows what you need. What do you really need? So somehow, we need to wrap our hearts and our minds around this statement, that we have a Father who knows, and Jesus is your provider. See, so if we can wrap and allow that statement, if you will, to own us, then we can say, do not worry. Because for me to just say, oh, don't worry about it, doesn't help at all. Jesus isn't saying, oh, well, just stop worrying. When was the last time you go, oh, I've never thought about that. That's good, yeah, good, good point. I'll just stop and thought about that. Thanks, Jesus. He's like, look, don't worry about it, because here's why. You've got a father who knows. So really, when it comes to being mastered by money, it's a situation of faith. Do we really believe that we've got a father who knows? We've got to wrap our heart around it. So how do we focus on Jesus? Well, Jesus carries on. He says, but, so, as an alternative to all that, as an alternative to being mastered, here's how you don't worry. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things, there's that word again, will be given to you as well. Context of this is money and treasure. Now, this scripture works beautifully well for all sorts of things. Don't get me wrong. But here's what Jesus is saying. Notice, but seek. In other words, reprioritize. Change what you're looking at. Change your focus. Reorganize your life. You need to actually take stock and go, I'm not going to focus on this anymore. I'm going to focus on this because that brings me discontent and darkness. This brings me light and freedom. And on a daily basis, you see, you can, you can drive a really fancy car and be on that side. And you can drive a junker and be on that side. Discontent, darkness, light, freedom. That sounds good. Worry-free? Wow. Because you've got a father who knows. So Jesus says, but seek. You need to rearrange the way you do life. Reprioritize towards his kingdom. What does his kingdom, what is his kingdom prioritized by? Sum it up, really? It's give and live. Give first, live second. That's a, good, that's a good way to live your life financially. You see, the whole of the kingdom is pointed towards God's glory, that his eminence, his beauty, his power that is oriented towards him, and then his love out of a flow, overflows out of that and gives and gives and gives and gives. He's generous, he's kind, he's loving, he thinks of others. That's the example we've been set by him. Here's a little test for you. For God so loved the world that he, his only son, he gave his son. So God's example is that he gave. 
So Jesus is saying, look, if you want to have worry-free, if you want to live away from the edges financially, if you want to have freedom and light in your life, you need to reorganize, reprioritize towards looking towards the kingdom. And what is the kingdom all about? The kingdom and his righteousness is all about living life giving. God gave his son. God gave his son, set his example. The ultimate gift that he could give, he gave to us so that we too could then have his righteousness. We could have that righteousness. So that when we, the Bible says, believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that he is king of over our lives, that our sin and our shame and our holding on and us focusing in discontent towards the things of the world and chasing, all that darkness goes to him, on him, on the cross. And by our belief in that and our confession of who we are and and owning the fact that we are owned by other things and that we worship other things, that as we come to him and we seek his face and we simply ask for forgiveness, the scripture says as we believe in our hearts that he is Lord and confess with our mouths, then he gives us his righteousness. That's the ability to live like this. Christians. This is why I said right at the beginning, this is not an option. This is who we are. That if you're confessing you're a Jesus follower, you are confessing that he is king. You are confessing that your sin and your shame died with him on the cross. And it's a glorious thing. And he's given us his righteousness. So therefore, Jesus says, so seek that out. Live that way. We should be the most generous, giving, open-handed people on this planet. That God may have given you tens of dollars. He might have given you millions of dollars and anything in between. And we can live generously out of that, giving him the glory in contentment, in light, in freedom. That's why it makes good common sense to be a Christian. And this is good to live, to give before we start focusing on our lives. Is your first thought, great, I can get this. Or is your first thought, great, I can give this. I can give this. God, will ne- you set that example and he'll, you'll never outgive him. You'll never outgive him. I don't want to embarrass them, but we were, I was chatting about my sermon with my dad and, and, and I obviously know my mom and dad's story and many of you know, maybe many of you don't know. My dad was um, a superintendent for many years in the, in the police and then he retired pretty young. And I say that because I'm nearly at that age very young, and, uh, and then he devoted, mom and dad devoted their lives to ministry, and he was a pastor for many years, and, and I know when they first became a Christian, they, they heard a, a sermon like this, and the pastor said, in great wisdom, said, you know, you should pray and think about what amount of money you should give, and, uh, and give that, because God will answer that prayer, amen, yes, it's a prayer, I'm never going to pray that prayer, something like that, no. And so they, mom and dad prayed, and dad wrote down, <laughs> he heard this number, and he said to me, he said, Glenn, I thought it was a telephone number. <laughs> I thought I was brilliant. <laughs> we need people in church who give the equivalent of telephone numbers, six digits, come on. And then he said, uh, and then he turned to mom, like obviously afraid of what, what God might have said to her, and thinking, wow, oh, and, and mom had written down the exact same number. And he said this, and, and I'm very proud that he said this, because I've seen this worked out in their lives, and I don't say this just to make them feel good, because I can actually genuinely say I've seen this. God's never let them down. He 
He's always provided. Has it always been super easy? No. Right? Always provided. Always. You'll never outgive God because God gave the ultimate gift. More than six digits. Oh, digits are fingers in Canada, aren't they? Is that right? You know what I mean by digits, right? Okay. Six numbered. You know what I mean. So, he put you first. He put others first. We need to do the same. And, and Jesus followers, let me just read this as I come to the end. This is Paul speaking in 2 Corinthians. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will reap generously. Now, that scripture has been horrendously abused by the so-called prosperity gospel. By the people, I don't even want to call them preachers, who will stand and they will say, you give this amount of money, God is going to give you 30, 60, 100 fold. You give towards my jet, then you are going to get this. You give me some money and I will send you a bit of cloth that's been anointed on my brow and you put that on the thing that is sick on you and you're going to, abs- I don't, can't say the word, but it, garbage, absolute horrendous unbiblical nonsense. Don't listen to it, don't read it, it's absolute rubbish. And you can start by the start where it says prosperity gospel. The gospel doesn't need any words added to it. It's the gospel. It's Jesus. So when we read this, this is not a, oh, so now I need to give in order to return. No, because you'll see why in a second. Verse 7, each man should... I got quite passionate there. Did you see that? Because the reason is I see it hurting so many people. Well, why, did, why am I still sick? Well, it's because God doesn't love you enough and you've not got enough faith. That's rubbish it hurts so anyway moving on verse 7 each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give not reluctantly under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver and not so and God is able to make all grace about so it's not because you do this therefore God will give you that God is able to make all grace abound to you what a beautiful thing have grace abounding and Paul carries on so that in all things at all times having all that you want need you will abound in every good work freedom light joy life lived well it starts with generosity the New Testament teaching is is really clear New Testament teaching is this give sacrificially give regularly give cheerfully Sacrificially, if you want to start at 10%, perfect. If that isn't a sacrifice to you, you need to up it. That's New Testament teaching. That's not Pastor Glenn teaching. Sacrificial, regularly, cheerfully. Now, I, I say this because I'm very grateful that we're in a church where people do give. The generosity at Willapot Church is astounding. I would also say this, that the increase in our giving over the last two years has been remarkable. At Willapot Church South has increased their giving by 50% almost, which is amazing. But I need to say this lovingly and carefully, just as a point of remembering me saying that God shines a light on our money because he shines a light on something else. Can I tell you this? That the majority, and I don't know who gives what, okay? I'm not studying that every week, trust me. What I've been told is that the people who were giving before have upped their giving. The people who are not giving have not given as much. And, and so 
I don't say that from a point of condemnation. What I'm saying is, is that God's very best is that we live sacrificially, giving regularly and giving cheerfully. And so we can revert back to the beginning of some go, well, church is always talking about money. But the reality is this, is that the Bible does speak very specifically on how we should give. And that you can, there's freedom in that. There's joy in that. So it's actually the most loving thing I can do to encourage you that if you're not giving regularly to your local church, then you should start. Because that's the most loving thing, not the most selfish thing. It's actually the most loving and freeing thing for you. Now, you might have lots of questions about it. And so there is a sermon you can find in November 2017 where I answer all these questions. I'm not going to answer them now. Don't, don't panic. Is tithing biblical now that we, are not in, uh, that we are out of Old Testament times? How much should I give? Should my giving go to the church or to other Christian organizations? Is it right to expect a reward when we give? Should giving vary by income? Should I give to the church if, I am not in a, if I'm in a lot of debt? And does God expect me to give if I am struggling to survive financially? All those questions I address in the sermon that I referred to in November. So I'd love for you to listen to that. And I'm going to move on and focus on this as I come to an end. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You see, God in his love gave us his son... And through that gave us us righteousness for those who believe. And that righteousness is right standing. It's, it's new life. It's that, it's that being seen as a child by God, a child like he saw Jesus. And it's a beautiful place to live, but it empowers us to live this way. It empowers us to focus. It empowers us to give. You'll never outgive God. And so my resounding hope and prayer from this sermon is not so much, please give to the church. It's this, is that God's selflessness and giving changed the world. And it still does. It still does. And so I, I want us to feel the joy of that. That you may be living on the edge financially, but there's a beautiful, freeing, and wonderful way to give, then live. Live giving and see see whether God will not only match, but will make you abound in Him. Not because of, because it's a repositioning, a reprioritizing of your focus on the kingdom. And the kingdom and His righteousness is the best place to live. Amen? Okay, let's pray. Father, we, uh, we bow before you and Lord, I'm very cognizant that there are many, Lord, who are struggling financially. And Lord, I, I recognize that that might be because of poor decisions or that might just be because of circumstances that have happened around them. Either way, Lord, I'm so grateful that we have a Father who knows. And Lord, I pray now, even as I pray and as we worship, that, Lord, we would do so cheerfully. That, Lord, we do so sacrificially. And that, Lord, we would do it in awareness and understanding you're a God who provides all our needs. Lord, I pray you would empower us to be able to reprioritize and seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. Lord, I pray that we would be world-changing givers. Lord, I pray against any condemnation or guilt that the enemy might be trying to inject into people's lives that 
Lord, if there's anything I've said that somehow has inspired that, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that they would hear first and foremost from you. Lord, I pray for those who are not yet Jesus followers. Lord, I pray that the message of the gospel, the good news, that you gave your life and that, Lord, that you give us righteousness, Lord, that that would capture them more than anything else, that there is freedom and light and life away from the edge to be found in you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know, most weeks I, I point people towards this card and on the back it says, I became a Christian today. And it also says, you know, that if you want to meet with a pastor and you want to chat more about Christianity, learning more about Christianity then you can put your name and it doesn't matter how many of these you fill in by the way you can check that and put it into connect desk and we'd love to chat with you about what life with Jesus is about and South Family just to encourage you we have cards coming in like that all the time it's a wonderful thing so if you have heard anything you want to talk more I'd love to connect with you but that's a great way to start with that and I just want to encourage you now to stand up and we're going to sing We have a lot to praise. We have a Father who knows. Amen? Amen. Let's sing.